Welcome to the Free Birth Podcast, a supportive space for people who are learning, exploring, and celebrating their autonomous choices in childbirth. Together, we'll unpack truths, share personal stories, and claim our ability to birth freely and intuitively. Here's your host, Emily Saldea. An expat from America, Nicole moved to Mexico to live a more simple and nature-based life. After witnessing an unassisted birth of a family member, she knew that this was also the path for her. Nicole went on to birth her three sons over the last four years at home with the support of her friends and family. Nicole recently free birthed her third child and tells us the stories of all three. We get into birth culture, privilege, and how Nicole navigated trust in her body and her babies after her firstborn was born with a limb abnormality. I'm feeling great. I'm feeling really good. It was um, the birth was a week ago last night mm-hmm. at midnight. Wow. Um, yeah, and I'm doing really, really good. It was a. Um, I didn't have any tearing or any este, any like trauma or anything like that and so the recu- the recovery has been great um the swelling has gone down significantly in my in este, in my belly and yeah it's been awesome not too much and this, not too much pain or anything this was your third unassisted birth my third unassisted birth yes so let's let's just start from the beginning. What what originally led you to choose unassisted? Um, okay, well, probably six years ago, my brother and his wife moved to Mexico and they were pregnant. And their intention was to move here to live off the land and be off the grid and things like that. And so I had already been here for I don't know, 10 years. And um, they had an unassisted pregnancy, meaning that she had not gone to any doctor. She went once to confirm pregnancy and that was it. And back then I wasn't with anybody. I wasn't in the, I wasn't having a family or anything like that. And um, I really respected their way of life. And it was something that was my ultimate goal too, was to live off the grid. And um Sorry, I just walked up some stairs. It's okay. <laughs> um, and so I was, I was, you know, very accepting of their decision to want to have a home birth without any assistance because they were kind of going in that direction anyway. And then when they got here, they they were still on the fence. They wanted to meet some doulas and see if anybody was kind of matched what they were looking for in terms of help or something like that. And they ended up meeting a couple friends of mine and. In the end, their decision was just to have the baby at home, two of them and me, because we were all living together. And that was my first exposure to that. I had never heard of that or met anybody. I I had one friend that had a baby, but she had an emergency C-section back then, and Mm -hmm. I wasn't really exposed to any of that. Um, And I was present at the birth. So that was six years ago in April, and it was amazing, and nothing happened, and I 
had spoken to some nurses and some doula friends of mine on my own prior to that. And they were really open and just kind of like, you know, if the mother is confident and the father is supportive, it's not nothing anybody can do to convince them otherwise, it's going to be okay. And, and, you know, just kind of like the confidence is coming from everywhere. And so um, from there, I was really intrigued and drawn to it. And I knew that I wanted to help. I wanted to kind of be, involved in doula um, how do you say, midwife kind of stuff in the mm-hmm. future. I had kind of made that choice around that time. And then fast forward a couple more years and um, I met my partner that we're, that I'm with now and we, and I openly talked to him about having family and stuff like that. And right off the bat, at that point, I knew that once I did do that, I wanted it to be unassisted birth for sure. And most likely a hands-off unassisted pregnancy. And he was completely supportive of that. And um, we had known each other for years and we got together November of 2012 and we consciously conceived on December 12th. Well, that's what we believe, the day that we had our ceremony. Uh Uh, And then we were pregnant a, a couple weeks later. So before even being with my partner of having and, and, and knowing that we were pregnant, we were kind of already at the confidence level that this is the way we wanted to do it. And then, so let's say I got, I was pregnant in December. In January, my best friend from here, who also knew my brother and my sister-in-law's story and met the baby when she was born, she was pregnant and um, decided that she was going to have a free birth at home and that it was just going to be her, her husband, me, and another girlfriend of ours. And so January 23rd, right after I found out I was pregnant, she did an unassisted home birth. Totally. Un- I mean, she was in the bathroom wow. alone, came out, and the baby was born 20 minutes later. But wow. she labored hard. For and you got to be there? Herself. I was there for the end. She didn't want anybody there, so we were just kind of pacing outside for hours mm-hmm. into the evening, walking around, my girl, my other girlfriend and I, waiting for the call, and then he called us and said, she's out of the bathroom, she's ready, and we came home. Yeah, and... She was born in the same pool as my niece and my children. And she, Brittany, just, um, yeah, she just rocked it. She was in there and the baby came out in 20 minutes. So, gosh, it really, it really speaks to in either direction, you know, how influenced we are by the people around us and by what we see, you know, because obviously most people are seeing and hearing about scary, traumatic, fear based birth. And so there's a lot of fear around birth and most people are going to the hospital because, you know, that's what they see their family do. But for yeah. you to have your brother's, you know, brother's partner expose you to this and then your friend reinforce this, you know, it took what one birth for you to know yeah. that that was aligned for you and then to have it reinforced by a second birth, which really, you know, one birth in the grand scheme of things is just one birth, yeah. you know, it's not, it's yeah. not like your whole life or something. It just, gosh, it really, yeah, speaks to how And there's midwives and doulas. Oh, sorry. Yeah. And there's midwives and doulas who have seen hundreds of births and, you know, one might've been unassisted and some of them are traumatic and stuff like that. And so perhaps that's better for me that both of my unassisted experiences prior to becoming pregnant were positive Mm -hmm. and easy and not easy. I can't say easy, but you know, and that, that is that really influenced me extreme. Mm-hmm. Also, I I have to admit, and my my sister in law not so much, but my best friend, she is the same as I am. 
she's currently waiting for her baby, her second child, who's going to be born in June, actually, right now. But um, back then, we really dove into birth stories. Like, her and I both would read, I mean, I would stay up late, even before I was pregnant, and read, um, I was really drawn to the website uh, Birth Without Fear, mm-hmm. January Harsh, and I read every birth story I could. And so, and from any source that I could find that was aligned with what I felt was true to me, you know, and that what happened for me there. And I think that this reinforces um, a little bit of what you just said is that I recognize that everything goes, that everything happens. Like there is no, you know, Oh, if you're not dilated 10 centimeters, the baby's not going to come out. There is no, Oh, when the water breaks, their birth starts that there are no rules. And so what I learned from there, and that's not to say that on those websites, it's only on assisted birth. In fact, it's hardly even that. Mm-hmm. What what I learned was that there's no box that you can fit a birth inside. And so therefore, to me, that pushed me even further away from the systematic birthing uh, industry that says, oh, right. this happens now. And Routine. if this doesn't happen, then this happens. Well, and, yeah, I mean, I think about that a lot, too, with, you know, giving your giving your birth a chance to flourish, you know, like give your, give your body and your baby and your birth a chance at home. And if something feels off or something feels wrong, or, you know, you get a weird feeling or something doesn't feel right, well then go get help, you know, but the mm-hmm. chances that that are going to happen, that that's going to happen is so slim. You know, it's really like, do you want to prepare for everything to work right? Or do you want to prepare for an emergency? That you cannot be in charge of your right. own whether it's your own health, your own disease, your own baby, all of, it, all of it, your own baby, your own food. Yeah. Because people, it, they are taken, the responsibility is taken away or they, they release the responsibility. And then, mm-hmm. and I mean, it's an interesting experience to, for example, to participate in those groups, those unassisted birth groups. And mm-hmm. My my girlfriend and I, the same, we're both part of those groups and we both say, you know, you you acquire so much confidence to know that there's other people out there that are doing the same thing as you because day by day you are checked by others that are not approving of that and mm-hmm. you know how could you not weigh yourself every month how could you not you know have them check your blood pressure how could you and you know I'm and those kind of uh, those kind of attitudes are exactly why the hospital and the medical industry are just you know the king of uh, just the the rulers of the world and why the free birth idea or unassisted pregnancies is insane to so many people, you know? Yeah, well, it's, it, yeah, really, it does kind of comes back to, are, are you preparing for wellness or are you preparing for an emergency? And most people exactly. have been taught and trained that birth is an emergency and exactly. death, death is just like knocking at your door at any point. You are your baby. Exactly. And you know, that you need to prepare for an emergency and the smartest way to prepare for an emergency is to be next door to an operating room. And then everyone's exactly. surprised that they get a C-section. <laughs> it's well, like yeah, you literally birthed too. next to an OR. What did you think was going to happen? <laughs> or your doctor is the prime, pro, you know, provider of the cesareans in the region or whatever. Totally. Yeah, I don't know. So, I think that's really um, a big deal too is that if they is that you are preparing for an emergency and, mm-hmm. and well, obviously that's the point of this, of this conversation. It's, I think that birth is something that comes from very far away and very deep within us. And it doesn't have anything to do with doctors or men or at all, but 
regardless. Well, and I think, I guess the, I guess the thought process for people who don't understand this are like, they can't wrap their head around how you can prepare for it to work. And that doesn't mean you're going to ignore if something's up, you know, the, the women I've birthed with who have minimal assistance or interventions, it very rarely has occurred, but I've been to some births where they just kind of like, you can feel it in the room. There's kind of like, huh, something's not clicking, you know, and, and mm-hmm. it doesn't even mean that they're, we're getting heart tones or, um, that any like physical thing has presented, but I've had a couple births so over the decade that people have been like, something doesn't feel right. You know, we should, mm-hmm. let's go in. Or I, I just feel like I'm supposed to be in the hospital. And, you know, mm-hmm. usually those few, those handful of births where someone's done that, something did wind up presenting where it did make sense for them to be there. Mm-hmm. You know, but the point yeah. is that the thing I've never forgotten is that if you're quiet and if you're given the space and if you're, you know, willing to tune in, yeah. it, it speaks to you. And I also believe now after this time, which I believed before, but it was more resonated for me right now, is it... I. I don't know. It really has a lot to do with the capacity to understand pain and what pain bodies mean to you and how you can manage what, and I'm using like, you know, uh, quotation marks to say pain because so much, I mean, so much about it is how long you can go and how painful it is. and, and, And I imagine it's relative. Every woman is different. Every birth is different, but that's a big thing too, is that automatically it's like, um, oh, it's going to be so painful if I don't have an epidural or, mm-hmm. or what if it's going on for five hours, it's going to be so painful. And it's really about rolling, you know, kind of that bizarro fine line between pain and pleasure or like, I don't, not, not pleasure, but just kind of the capacity to be able to do that. And for me, something that helped me with that way back in the beginning was the birth, the book, the, the course birth as we know it, or no, mm-hmm. birthing from within, sorry, mm-hmm. birthing yeah, from yeah. within. Because she talks a lot about small things, like, you know, being able to hold an ice cube for 20 minutes or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I think that that has a lot to do with um, being able to go to to do it by yourself because so many women just go right back to that. Like, oh, but it hurts. And all I remember is the pain, et cetera, et cetera. And, and that's a big part of our society, too, is, you know, pain medication and and, and hiding from it and, and kind of pushing it away and pushing it back. And well, and the, the, and the correlation it. between pain is suffering, you know, exactly. and, and obviously the whole medical paradigm is set up to treat it as such. You know, I can't tell you how many hospital births I've been yeah. to where they're like all looking at her with this like, oh, honey, you don't need to suffer. You don't need this. You yeah. know, we can save you, exactly. you know, so, exactly. versus the like warrior that's like pain is my friend, you know, and yeah. totally like ally with it. And, and that's where, you know, it's, it's only a slight tilt from pleasure to pain, yeah. extreme pleasure and extreme pain. Like it's really a, it's, it's really a slight tilt. And like you said, it's, it's primarily mental. Exactly. Oh, I dropped you. There you are. And birth is one of those things that like, it's inarguable because the spectrum is so wide. You know, women can say it's the worst pain of their life and women can say it was the most, you know, orgasmic, empowering, incredible experience of their life. I mean, I haven't met many women who don't say they didn't work their asses off. You know, I do think that's 
common. It doesn't mean everybody, but I think, you know, it's common that most women say it's, it's definitely hard work. Um, Mm -hmm. but I want to hear more about your, your stories. I mean, so, so you just have your, your third. So let's, let's like walk me through your first and second. And then of course I want to hear all the details about your most recent. Okay. Well, um, when, uh, Kiowa, my first son was born August 28th, 2013. And, um, so he was my first and I had no idea what was going on the plan was that we lived in a town called Puerto Vallarta down here in Mexico which is right Mm -hmm. smack in the middle of the town and my brother and sister-in-law lived far out about an hour away on the ranch and the idea was that they would come if they were able to make it and my girlfriend who is currently pregnant my unassisted birth Mm -hmm. sister she lived down the street so she was going to come over and um that that was my team and then we had a friend of ours who was a is a doctor um OBGYN kind of partero, which is like a, like a, like a midwife mm-hmm. man version. <laughs> and he was going to be on call in case something happened or any, any, and we had spoke and he had been over to the house. So, um, so in the morning I woke up around seven thirty, and I felt weird. I felt like I was uncomfortable all night. I kind of had to poop all night long. I was, I didn't really, I didn't, I didn't feel like I could rest anymore. And so his due date was about a week later and I was, I got up early, I was walking around and I was trying to stretch and, and just didn't feel like regular. And so I told my husband, I said, I think today's the day. And he said, like, now? And I was like, yeah, I don't know. I, yeah, I think so. So he gets up and makes coffee and gets, and we have to, our, our main job in these births is to pump up the birth pool and fill it with water because mm-hmm. we have a, um, a birth tub in a bag or something it's called mm-hmm, and yeah. so in a box okay so that was my brother and sister-in-law's and so we've inherited it so that is his job so he's going to spend the next two hours pumping and filling <laughs> and lighting incense and just kind of watching yeah, me setting walk the around the house yeah uh-huh and um I advised my brother and sister-in-law so they were getting ready and they were going to come down with my then my niece was a little over two and I told my girlfriend on the road. So she came over with her seven-month-old baby hmm. and brought me some fruit and stuff. And basically, from 7.30 until about 10.30 a.m., I was just kind of feeling feeling the rushes and trying to stretch out and lay on the bed, and that didn't feel good, and then hang on my countertop and go on my floor on all fours. I just was trying to feel comfortable and... And then I said, I think I need to get in the water. I'm feeling kind of impossible. I can't stand by myself. I need to go in the water. And our our thing between him and I was that don't let me go in the water too early because my sister-in-law was in the birth pool for about 10 hours. And that was, that sounded like my worst nightmare. <laughs> and so he agreed. I'm not going to let you go in too early. But this time I said, just, I got to get in now. You know, I was desperate. And she said, okay. And at that point, my brother and sister-in-law had not yet arrived. Um, my girlfriend was just preparing me some fruit and some cocoa water. And anyway, so I go in around 1030 and Kiowa was born at 1123. Wow. So I was what? in the water for about That's an quick. hour. Yeah, it was pretty quick. But in theory, what I, what I realized over the years and what I learned is that I probably had contractions throughout the night or rushes, mm-hmm. whatever you want to call them, but I was just not aware. And so perhaps my active labor had been going on for a few more hours than I imagined. That's the best, um, though. That's how you do it right there. You just ignore yeah. it, and it shortens your labor or, by so much. 
Yeah, and so he came out, and the thing is, with Kiowa, we had gone to a, a, a doctor, and we had three ultrasounds, four ultrasounds, uh, three or four, I can't remember. So with Kiowa, um, when he was born, we, he, his eyes were opened. He was breathing well. The cord wasn't around his neck. And at the time that he came out, my girlfriend and the baby were there, my husband and I, and that was it. And my brother and his family showed up within minutes because I was still sitting in the pool with the baby in my arms, the cord attached, all that reeling. And so they showed up. I mean, they weren't on time, you know, per se for the, you know, his exit, but they were right there when it was needed. Um, and from there we, oh, so we, we I said, is it a boy or a girl? You know, cause we never want to know the sex of the baby. So is it a boy or a girl? It's a boy. And then um, my niece has two toes stuck together on both of her feet, kind of like webbed. Mm-hmm. And I said to my husband, are his feet stuck together? And so at that point, my husband noticed that Kiowa's left side of his body, his left arm is, was, is only developed to the elbow and has a small kind of um, uh, like a small little hand off of there. And then his left leg was, is now over time we learned what, what it is and you know, he's missing a bone and hmm. things like that. But his arm and his leg were smaller and, and completely different than what we had imagined. And so Aww. that was an interesting first yeah, experience that's because a big deal. for a lot of people, um, that would have also uh, implied a medical emergency and a mm. panic and mm-hmm. a freak out. But for us, we just, um, we saw it and we said, okay, this is amazing. And we felt like he was breathing and he was red and everything was awesome. And so, we started the process. We were going to burn the cord. Um, after a little while, it was, it felt short. I couldn't really get out of the water. Um, the torch didn't work. I feel like we did it with scissors, which was great. We tied it off on the ends. We had seen a lot of YouTube videos mm-hmm. and then uh, we called our, my friends and we said, this is, you know, kill our baby looks like this. Can you come over and check me out? Check him out. He came and he's like, he is so healthy. This is just a physical thing. He explained to us really basic what he felt it was. And then, um, he weighed us. I needed stitches at that, that, yes. My first birth, I got five stitches. Um, and that gave, doctor gave, could help you and at my house. Yeah. My bed, he came That's and checked nice. me out and said, you're, you're pretty torn. Do you want it? And at that point I said, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, sure. Yeah, and then so my course. girlfriend helped him. She was the nurse and he did it. And, um, and, and daddy was holding the baby skin to skin and, and yeah. And then it took about an hour for the placenta to come out. I was, I think it ended up coming out while I was in the shower and yeah. And then from there, a whole nother journey of, you know, telling the family and, and learning about Kyo's condition and, yeah, and so all that kind of stuff. But that's a whole nother. Yeah. I was going to ask, um, so the, I guess this is kind of a stupid question, but the ultrasound, no, it's not a stupid question. Didn't, the ultrasounds didn't pick anything up. Well, yes, actually, we, my husband reviewed the disc that they gave us that night and you can see his arm very clearly. Mm-hmm. Um, in retrospect, we believe that the doctor, he learned, he learned who we were, um, kind of just saw that we weren't interested in having, knowing the sex and that kind of the birth plan that we told mm-hmm. him and we feel like he took the higher road in a way and didn't tell us about it, knowing that the baby was healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people reacted really angrily and negative about that decision he took. But for us as a family, we really believe that that was the best 
for us. Well, because, that's that's interesting because right, like, what else? What are you going to do? Worry the rest of your pregnancy? Like, what well, is yeah, it? And I and I it have is what it is. Who, yeah, who were told that their baby had hip dysplasia inside in in utero, and they were, you know, horribly traumatized. Or somebody's son was born with only a couple toe mm-hmm. uh, bones in his foot, and they were so. For us, it was perfect, and we believe that. And since then, it's been an an act an amazing challenge as a family because both of us are really kind of hands off in terms of the medical industry, but Uh here we have to, we had to kind of participate in some orthopedic orthopedic and uh, specialists and things like that. And and my son is an outpatient at the Shriners hospital in Mexico city and go, he's had some prosthetics and things like that. Very non-invasive, you know, uh, treatments and stuff like that, but it's been, and I ironic challenge right. because we kind of have to open ourselves up totally. on the other and, and be accepting of, of what the, the medical industry can or will provide. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that it's been an interesting dynamic, but in the end, um, he's incredible and strong he runs and jumps. He is an amazing little, little guy. So, and he's going to be four this summer. Um, but yeah, what happens is I think for us, at least for me personally, I believe a lot of people probably looked at, uh, I don't know how to say this, looked at us from an outsider's point of view. And and I, I believe that a lot of people probably either A, would be scared to have another child mm-hmm. and B, would have taken that as a medical emergency and therefore assume that another birth in the same style Mm -hmm. might not be appropriate or, Oh, now you need to get genetic testing on your second baby or all of these things that people again associate with fear. It's a limited way of thinking for sure. Because like you said, I mean, you guys were ready to love and accept your baby. And even if you had known there's nothing you can do when they're in utero and you, you know, it's actually a very kind of, uh, it's like a um, a midwife trick that if a baby comes out with some sort of physical issue, um, like, you know, um, clubbed feet or whatever it right. is that, or cleft um, palate or whatever. yeah, that if, well, that's harder to, to hide, but it's, I've I read guess, a lot yeah. of stories that, um, you know, like, let's say if it's clubbed feet, the midwife will cover up the feet in the blanket and not bring it to the parent's attention right away. And so that they can have all their bonding and as they're falling in love, the parents can discover this, you know, unique part of their baby um, versus it being this like, oh my God, look at this thing, you know, and making it, but they can actually discover it as they're falling in love with their little one. Yeah. And and I think that that's exactly what happened for us. Yeah. It sounds like it. And you don't even think about checking the sex right away. You're like, oh my God, is there a cord on his neck? Is he blue? You know, all of the vitals. And then, oh, is it a boy or a girl? And then, oh, okay, let's check. So for us, that's exactly what it was. And immediately, we knew that he was a star child, and this is how he came to us, and we called him from... I mean, for us, it was just aligned, and it was perfect. And at no point did we ever say, oh, my God, in the future, our children... Yeah, because we knew Kiowa was this is who he is. Mm-hmm. I don't know. And yeah. that again might feel like people might look at that as being irresponsible and how could you do that? But, um, needless to say, our two sons, none of them have anything with their bones or their arms or legs like Kiowa. And as we believed is 
as he's an individual and right so yeah um so how how did that yes, I think going to your next pre- so your next pregnancy like did you have to battle with some nervousness there or was it pretty easy to Honestly, just separate it and yeah I feel like it was seriously we really uh, this might again borderline maybe people believe is irresponsible or just blind faith is that we really believed that Yoa was as Yoa is for that, not genetic or, um, I mean, we looked into our, our cast. I mean, we didn't do genetic testing, but like, Oh, my parents, do we have any family members that have something like this or his family and things like that? Um, but in terms of like, as like, Oh, I need to get tested and stuff like that. No, never crossed our minds. And if, and I think where we stood at that in those days is if something does happen, then again, that is our, we made our son in the same way that we made Kyo. And, and this is, this is what, I mean, this is who this person is. And yeah. I mean, it's like that, your, you know? your, your family's karma or your, I mean, every person right. yeah, is going to come in with their own, you know, set of things to navigate and identify with and mm-hmm. with their lessons to learn. And yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And in the beginning, as a new parent, that was a big test and yeah, it continues to be a test as he learned how to walk and he mm. learned how to do things. And, 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 but it, it's like rightfully so, and I don't know. And yeah. And so, um, yeah. So what was and your second, was first one. tell me about your so second So my, our second guy was, um, my, all of the boys are almost two years to the day apart. So, um, found out I was pregnant when Kiel was a little over a year and a half. Uh, a little bit less than a year and a half. And then, um, we, he was born, my second son's name is Tayari and Tayari was born in July. And so Kyo would have been two the following month. Um, again, same, we got less, I, I had less ultrasounds. I decided not to go back with that doctor. I think I had three. I went with ironically a woman who was slightly aligned with, um, with, humanized birthing in the, in the area. She had been in a couple, um, conferences about peaceful births and things like that. And so I thought, Oh, she would be great. Um, in the end, I have really high standards about stuff like that. I guess she was right off the bat, really kind of pushing me to do some blood work and things like this, where the the other guy was not like that. He was a very old man. He was very old fashioned. He didn't even really do any physical exams. So the second time around, she was really wanted me to do these kind of, um, well, yeah, like standardized things that for her, she required in order to follow through with my, my, um, coverage or service or whatever. A, a side note, and this might not necessarily be something that maybe this might have to be edited out, but, um, I have, I live in Mexico and I want my children to have dual citizenship and the process to get American citizenship for a child here with an American mother is it's not impossible. It's complex in that I have to really follow through and proving that my child is mine. Mm-hmm. And so the way that works is there's really kind of a, 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 a need to show yeah. photos, totally. videos, you know, a medical history. So it's really the, the reason why I was doing that the second time around. Mm-hmm. However, the sense. second time around, she really wasn't, um, she felt like one of my tests came back as gestational diabetes and she was really pushing that I didn't have a home birth and I, I, I got a second God. test and third test and things like this. 
and it was, um, I'm always kind of, it's always a, a, an awkward personality challenge for me faced with the medical professionals mm-hmm. because I don't really know how to hold, um, hold back. So <laughs> I express myself, I express myself very light heartedly. And I said that I didn't think that, um, that was an issue for me because her final reasoning and upon more research on my own, really the thing about, for example, this is totally sidebar, uh, gestational diabetes appears. I mean, obviously if you have history in your family and you as an individual have issues with sugar and the, the tests for gestational diabetes are very obscure. And, and in the end, what comes to appear as the reason is then therefore you're going to have a big baby and you cannot birth a big baby mm-hmm. without uh, intervention and, and so I don't and, and the that. like and, monitoring of your baby right afterwards and and so I didn't believe that and at this point my the pregnancy was I think I was seven and a half months when she was telling me these things and um I just kind of wrote her off and so yeah and I didn't need to go back because I had already gotten everything I needed to to uh, to get what I needed and you know later on down the line in the bureaucratic world so from there, I just made the choice. I said, oh, okay, I'm, I got to wipe this clear out of my head. Um, and back then, I think I was telling my mom about it, and and um, and she was researching, and she, still, she was in the U.S. She was still living up there in the U.S., and she like, oh, my God, this stuff is so old-fashioned. It doesn't even make sense. Don't worry. Don't let it get in your head. And so I cleared that out, and, um, and yeah, and we just went forward with our plan was that we're going to have the baby at home the same way. My girlfriend's going to come. My brother's going to be there. Um, so fast forward, it's July 1st-ish. My baby was due July 30th. And my mother-in-law is visiting for my husband's birthday, which is July 6th. So she's going to be here for a week. And um, my mother-in-law is it was a great um, woman in terms of she's been present at some home birth. She gave birth to twins when she was 18. She breastfed the kids till she was three. She's kind of more on those lines. Um, and anyway, she was in town and I woke up on the morning of July 10th again, early. My kids, my then two-year-old would get up at the crack of dawn. It's still dark outside. And we make smoothies and have yogurt and the morning thing. And around like nine, I was like, you know, because I didn't sleep the best night, night to my husband. I said, I don't I don't know. I'm feeling weird. And he's like, well, what does that mean? Is it the birth? I was like, no, of course not. It's 30 days away. And no, it can't be. And so. So what what week are you at right now in this story? 36 weeks. 36. Okay. Uh Uh-huh. Like later, like towards the end of the 36, like July 2nd, July 30th, you know. Um, And I was like, no, we don't even have a name. We're not ready. The bed is folded up. We're not. No, I'm not in labor. So those are all my reasons. And, um, And so I called my sister-in-law, who at that point, her daughter was four. And I was like, Emily, you know, I, I'm feeling weird. What was your, what were your signs of labor? And she's like, I don't know. We just had a baby a couple of years ago. You know, what are you talking about? What's happening? <laughs> I said, I think maybe it is the day. And she's like asking me my trigger questions. Like, you know, did you poop a lot? Did you do this? Did you do this? Okay. Okay. So should we come over? And I said, I think so. So then I call my girlfriend who was supposed to come and she ironically is flying to LA that afternoon for a three day trip. And I called her and I said, Amiga, I think this is the day. And she was like, no, I'm supposed to be there. I'm leaving to the airport. It can't be. And, um, 
And at some point, my husband came outside while I was on the phone and grabbed me by the shoulders. Are you in labor or not? And I said, yes. Okay, yes, I am. I admit it. Yes. <laughs> and I think my other block was that my mother-in-law was there and mm-hmm. I really didn't want a mother-in-law or my mom. Or mm-hmm. and, and so I was really just kind of like, it's not possible. I couldn't wrap my brain. So finally, when I was conscious of the feelings, okay, we're in labor, fine. And so then um, we live in a really tiny town um, by the beach and... Um, my husband, I asked that we have, uh, that he goes to get bones for, to make a bone broth. That was kind of my tradition. So when Kyo was born that morning, I made soup. And then, so he went to get the bones and, and kind of start to get everything ready. And we set up the space, the altar. We kind of had the birth pool at that point was in the middle of our dining area. I had like a, uh, how do you say, like a room divider kind of separating it off and, um, kind of out in the open but like it's just our family so it wasn't too bad and yeah and so I was walking around making soup and and kind of feeling everything out and around so that was around 10 a.m when I decided (laughs) and probably around one I remember maybe two o'clock just because the baby was going to have a nap I went inside my bedroom and I said I'm going to stay in there for a while please come in and check on me and bring me fluids and um and I was in there for hours hours three hours maybe doing active labor I was trying to get comfy I was stretching on my on the floor I was pulling on the bed I was hanging on the window um railing things like that and just trying to be yeah just feel it and and for that birth I was really with with the idea of dancing the baby out I was really focused on the spiraling down and and I think that that really helped me connect to that idea um and yeah, and so I did that for a few hours. My son was napping in the room because we have shared room. And um, and I was, yeah, and I did that. And then finally I went out and I said, okay, I'm ready to go in the water. And he's like, are you sure? I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. And at that time, I think I was in the water for a while longer, maybe an hour, maybe two hours. Because um, I recall that I had, I went in before transition. Like I was in there for a long time where I was still talking Mm-hmm. and holding hands and eating food and um, and another girlfriend of mine came for that birth she showed up and brought some incense and was there to hold my hand um and my niece was there my four-year-old niece and she's holding my hand and, and my hmm. son was coming out a little bit he was a little bit more scared because he was so little but it was it was in the day and it was totally family I didn't my brother and my mother-in-law didn't really pass in front of me at all they kind of stayed out of the picture but um nice they both got some incredible photos and videos mm. and from behind. So that was really awesome. And yeah, and they were giving me cocoa water and frozen pineapple and watermelon. And, and it was amazing. And so Tayari was born at 5.30, 5.28 in the evening. And so, um, yeah, I started at 10 and it was a lot more active and longer than Kiowa. I really struggled in the water towards the end with... Um, kind of like losing it and not knowing if I should be breathing or pushing or mm. like kind of overanalyzing it. And my journal was just an awesome coach. And she was like, whatever you need to do. And, and just kind of rolling with it. And she was really helped me for that. And um, gave me a lot of support. I mean, everybody did, but she was kind of like my, my, um, yeah, my coach. And mm-hmm. so the baby had came out and the cord was okay. And nothing, no kind of emergency heat didn't cry right away. He's pretty blue. Um, I felt I was holding him and I believe I, I felt that he was breathing and everything was okay. But my brother and my husband, my mother-in-law 
saw for some reason that he was, they felt like he wasn't breathing. And so they, they held him and they suctioned his, um, his little nose with the suction ball. And, um, they even, I think, I think they even held him upside down and then he started to breathe or he started to, um, to cry. And so that was a little bit of an emergency, a family emergency in the moment. Um, and I think that they all carry that with them strongly for this birth story is that they felt like he wasn't breathing. Um, which I respect and I be- believe perhaps that's, that is the case. Uh, however, I was, I was high on what just happened and I felt total confidence that he was. Um, and well, and I think pe- people who don't see a lot of birth don't know that, you know, plenty of babies take a good minute or two or three yeah. to really figure it out. Yeah. Which, yeah. And which happened kind of this time around the third baby and everybody was, totally calm um so yeah he came out it was insane um we cut the cord the cord was really short at that time it was almost like even to hold him in my arms kind of pulling down Mm -hmm. on me Mm -hmm. um and so I said let's just wait a minute until it changes and and then we'll do this and so we cut the cord probably within I don't know probably before an hour because my placenta came out pretty fast as soon as I stood up it shot out um and then from there yeah we just um, cleaned him off and a little bit and daddy held him while I took a shower and then immediately we were in bed and he was nursing and, and it was awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, um, and that was how long ago that was, uh, he was born on July 2nd, 2015. Okay. Two, two years ago. Almost two years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. And yep. so you just had your third about a week ago last week. Yeah. And tell me that story. And um, this was a totally different um, experience. I had, um, so on May 3rd, a week prior to May 3rd was a Monday night. May 3rd was a Wednesday, so Tuesday, Wednesday. So a week prior to that, I started to say that I was going to go in labor. I really believed that I was going into labor um, about a week prior. And... Um, I just started to feel a lot of pressure on my lower belly and, and changes in my body um, in terms just of like, yeah, like they were being, it felt like there was no more room. But what I was talking about too was that perhaps it was the feel of being nine months pregnant where at my birth prior to that, I was only eight months pregnant. Mm-hmm. And I was like, maybe this is just being really pregnant and, and, and you know. Um, so for about a week, I was like, oh no, this is the day. And then there was, a couple of days during that week before the birth that my husband had some really long work commitments and was going to be gone either overnight or for 12 hours or something. And so I was like, okay, I can have the baby tonight, but I can't have the baby on Wednesday because nobody's <laughs> going to be here to help me. And then, and then we had visitors come the Friday prior and they left Tuesday afternoon, the day that I started labor. So that block of four days from Saturday morning until Tuesday, I was even kind of like, okay, Jesus Christ, I hope I don't go into labor these guys are here. My husband's working. Every, so I'm just kind of writing it out. I had, I, I had even prepared the birth space, like the altar and, and, and we cleaned the pool and like got things ready a, a week before, because I was like, so sure. And I told my brother, I was like, you know, this might be it. And so anyways, they, everybody was kind of on their toes and they were like, but your due date isn't until May 17th or May 15th. No, it was May 7th, May 15th. I can't remember. And so, um, they, Everybody was kind of like, are you sure? I said, I don't really know. So anyway, Tuesday, our guests leave at 1 o'clock p.m. 
and we have lunch. And right after lunch, around four o'clock, I said, oh, my God, I really believe this is it. Today's the day because I had woken up and I felt really heavy and tired, but I automatically felt nauseous and like I had to go to the bathroom and it was just an intense wave and I, and I never get nauseous. And so these signs and I said, oh baby, today's the day. I don't know if it's in 12 hours or in two, but today it's it. And he's like, really? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Let's do it. Okay. So we put the pool up where it's going to go. And I tell my brother and I probably called them around five and told them they live really close now. They're only five minutes away. So, um, they said, okay, let's figure out a plan. Our daughter's on a play date, and I'll call, call you in an hour to see how you feel and what the deal is. And I said, okay. And my girlfriend now, she lives still all the way in Puerto Vallarta. She's seven months pregnant. She has a four-year-old, and I, we wanted her to be here. And so the idea was that I was going to let her know, but, you know, if it was going to be a sleepover or, or the timing. So I told her. I said, I don't know what you need to do. I don't know if it's going to come in the morning or tonight or what, but you are more than welcome to come spend the night. So... Everybody got here around 9, 8.39. We were putting our kids to bed. Um, we did the regular bath and put everybody to bed. And I had been laboring a little bit. I say laboring, but, like, I was sitting outside in the grass with the kids playing and stuff. Mm-hmm. But I was really feeling it down there. I was kind of laying on my side. I was I had to talk really quiet. <laughs> I couldn't discipline them. And just because I was, I was just intense, but not intense enough to a point where I couldn't be in the same room as anybody. So it wasn't really changing. It wasn't like, oh shit, every 45 minutes I'm feeling the push or something Mm -hmm. like that. So for me, I don't, I clearly, I don't really know how to gauge whether they're contractions or not from my past experiences. (laughs) Um, So I said, yeah, here we are guys. Everybody's here. Um, When I told my husband around four that I felt like that was happening, he rushed to the butcher and got the bones to start making the soup and I said okay that's it now we're now we're this is the real deal for us because that's kind of our sign and so um yeah and so around nine o'clock nine thirty, everybody showed up and at 10 I came upstairs with my girlfriend and we sat outside and we had a corona <laughs> <laughs> and we're sitting on the in the chairs and I and I'm kind of making this cringing and saying, oh, wait, it's really intense. Hold on in the middle of our conversation. And finally she said, let me time because you've been doing it more often. Let's see how often it is. And it was six minutes apart. And I was just sitting in the chair and, um, and she's like, okay, I think we're going to, I'm going to go to sleep, see what happens and just wake me up. She's right outside. And my brother and sister-in-law have fallen asleep downstairs. Just wake me up if something happens. Okay. I don't know. Okay. So my husband had been working on, while we were outside, he was filling up the pool, and he said, you know, the water's we're going to start filling it up just in case something goes down. So 11 o'clock, she, came, she went to sleep, and I came in the room where I was going to have the birth alone. My husband was busy taking care of the water and, and incense and just kind of doing his thing. And, um, and it had gotten a lot more intense. I started timing. It was like three minutes, four, six, three, kind of going faster. Um, I couldn't get comfortable. I had been really comfortable sitting on the hard chair, but, um, once I came in the room, I was, my position was really standing up and pushing up against the wall, the hard wall, which was weird because last time I really wanted the bed and to be on all fours. And this time I just was like almost kind of leaning to the wall and, and bending my, um, my knees and trying, I, that was the position that was working for me. And so my husband came in at one point, probably around 1130 and said, and asked me, are you leaving? Like, like, are you going to the other, you know, 
to the other place? Like, are, are you, are you drifting off yet? And I said, no, I don't think so. And, but my eyes, I kept closing my eyes and he said, I think you are. Said, okay. Okay. And, and I wasn't, I didn't feel like that was the end. Um, but it got, it, it got intense really fast. So he, there was one, one rush contraction that I was like, oh, wow, that felt different. Um, it's time. I have to get in the water. He's like, but it's not full. It's okay. I gotta go. Immediately, I, I was like almost going to throw myself over the edge of the pool. Um, the, the pool that we have is almost chest high to get in. So oh, probably belly high because it's so inflated. And um, so I kind of should step onto something, but I kind of slapped myself inside the water. And he said, should I wake everybody up? I said, yeah, okay, sure. Um, still not thinking that it was time. I still felt like I had a while to go. I felt kind of guilty having everybody wake up because I didn't know what was going to happen. And then um, I was in transition absolutely for sure in mm-hmm. those couple minutes that I was in the water. And um, it, there's this this thing that a girl, a really dear friend of mine who is a mama of four, she's a doula for life. She told me years ago before I ever had a baby, she said, my true sign of that the head is coming out and this is the guaranteed, I promise you, is right before the head comes out, you feel like a watermelon is going to come out of your bum. (laughs) And back then I said, what the hell? That is so gross. What do you mean? And that is my, that is my goal, go-to. That is when I know what's happening. So I'm in the water for 10 or 15 minutes and not even, I think 10 minutes and everybody comes in they look like they just woke up and I said, Oh my God, the watermelon is coming out. <laughs> Emily, Emily, the head. And I was facing the wall so nobody could see the front of my body. And that, and, and, it, and that was it. And Oh, right before I said that, the sack, uh, uh, there was a big pop and the sack, mm-hmm. uh, how, how you, the water or whatever came. Um, and it was dark. So I was like, is that blood? Is it poop? Like, oh my God. And then in the next breath, it was the head. And so I was facing the other way. I said, it's the head, it's the head. I think my husband was getting more water. Everybody was kind of uh, rushed and he, the baby came out in my arms and everybody kind of came around to the side. Um, very quickly, I checked his cord. No, I held him up and he was pretty blue, kind of even purpley. And But I could feel him breathing and he didn't cry, but he kind of made some sounds. And then within moments, my husband and my brother were going to do the, the, the nose um, suction, but my girlfriend said, he doesn't need it, he doesn't need it, he doesn't need it. <laughs> and, um, and at that point, he started to make sounds. And he, he yeah, he was very, um, he got colored right away. We kept the cord on for a while, I think, like over an hour. Um, and I got out after a little while. I was completely sitting up. I was fine. Um, <laughs> talking they were teasing that I was just like talking and hanging out and then yeah and from there we just did kind of preparations until probably two o'clock in the morning everybody went back to sleep um it took a long time for the process to come out I was kind of getting getting edgy just because I wanted it to be over (laughs) and so I have the babies out the cords done and with everyone like hanging out and talking and kind of yeah and and I'm and but they're you know we're all kind of intimate my sister-in-law and my girlfriend have been up there totally so many times that it's just like sitting with my legs open over a pot in the shower waiting for it to come out. Um, and that's, that is how it came out. I think was I was on my floor sitting on like a big pot and, um, and it came out like that and it was in perfect shape. It's crazy. It's a beautiful, perfect tree, which my prior, my placentas had kind of coming out, um, 
one was broken. The other one was just enormous. You couldn't even see what it was, but this time it came out beautiful. And, um, and yeah. And then after that, we, um, yeah, two o'clock in the morning, the baby nursed right away and everything was great. And the next day the kids came up and all excited and, and, um, and it's been really cool. Yeah. Yeah, I got a. I remember getting a, a Facebook message from you, being like, "I'm so freaking high right now." <laughs> yeah, see, oh, you see, I probably wrote it the next day. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, and I was texting. I was writing because I told friends at eleven because my girlfriends are like witches all around the world, all around the country, and they're lighting candles when I tell them, mm. and they're doing their whatever their own thing is. And so at two o'clock in the morning, as it's born. Oh, and the other thing is the baby was born at twelve twelve. Um, and I, I said, no, you're lying. And all of them checked their watches and 12, 12, that's exactly the time the head came out. And so for us, mm-hmm. that was, that's just a really powerful thing because that was when we did our marriage ceremony and, mm-hmm. and we're really drawn to a lot of things that have to do with that. And, uh, Beautiful. So yeah. And, um, three sons. And, wow. Yeah. And there we are. Exactly. <laughs> wow. And he doesn't have a name yet. His name is coming to us. We're almost there. Um, people can't handle that either. But our <laughs> second son took nine days until we named People him, can't so handle okay. anything. You think that your you think that your people would be used to this by now? <laughs> oh no! And my people, meaning like family and cousins and and you know randoms, are like writing every day. It's like you'll hear it when we're ready. Mm-hmm. Can we help? Can we help you pick out a name? We're like, no, not even close. We're good. So. <laughs> Yeah. So how do you go about, what's the process of, do you just meditate and see what name comes to you or do you have a bit of a process? With, with my first son, we knew the name, whether it was a boy or a girl, that's how we were going to name them anyway. Um, Kiowa. And that is a native American tribe that was peaceful with the Mexicans and kind of like just something that we were really connected to, um, from before we knew each other, my husband and I, and then this name came up in conversation and it was the name we chose. So that was that. And then the second baby we really believed was a girl and we had a name for the girl. Um, and he wasn't a girl. And so we didn't have any alternatives. And so, so for him, we just really, yeah, we kind of reflected on, on how he was born and where he came from and, and what our backgrounds are and things like that. And what his name means is the native Indians to this region in Mexico. It's, um, they're called the Huichol Indians and his name in Huichol is, um, from the heart like our, our heart from our heart. So for us, it was, um, it was, yeah, it was beautiful and it sounds great. And his second name is moon, like the moon, Mm -hmm. um, because his brother's second name is sun, but in Spanish. So it was kind of our dual. And, um, yeah, and the same. So I had a girl's name again, chosen just in case, same girl's name kind of rolling over, not a girl. So he, we didn't have any boys names chosen, but I think that we, yeah, we have a lot of, um, kind of symbolism and things that we believe strongly in and, 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 um, and yeah. And so we'll choose a good one. I, I, I think we'll see. Yeah, of course. I'm sure you, you're like, I'm just going to, we're just going to name him Paul. Well, and people are like, what about, you know, the tr- a trendy name or how about this one? Or, and so and you're like, crazy, back off. This is a very me. personal, very big deal. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. People aren't, they're not there yet for us. So anyway, um, but wow, yeah, what I, wild stories. Yeah, that's, they are. Well, and, I love them because, and, you know, it's wild, but at the same time, they're like perfectly normal stories too. You know, it's like you right. went into labor and you had your crew around you and you popped a baby out at your house. It's like pretty simple, but, you know, at the same time, I'm I'm just always so... I think the part that always fascinates me the most is 
you know, that, that women are so that the women I'm talking to, you know, are so drawn to opt out of this default system and to really figure out how to claim their own experience and how to, you know, stake that claim in their family and in their home and, um, allow themselves to have this, you know, undisturbed experience, you know, and thank God you had this exposure of positivity beforehand. I mean, what a beautiful foundation to lay that you could reference throughout your first pregnancy and first birth experience. I completely agree. And I think that what I've learned is, and this is the case in a lot of elements of one's life, is to ha- the women that I've come across, like that I know intimately, either that or, um, you know, that are out there in the world that I've met in social media or whatever, that have done unassisted home births, they're really confident. They are confident in themselves, in their strengths, in their management of pain. They're confident in if there is an emergency, they take the responsibility to determine, you know, like, like, like I said, our son was born the way that he was my first son. And that is our, you know, we accept that, that because we didn't do genetic testing, because we didn't do this and this and that, you know, and, and by really having confidence in those decisions Mm -hmm. and, and that they can manage. And I even read something, I read something recently on one of the, um, whatever, a group that said, a woman who, a, a doula, a midwife who knew um, a family that did unassisted birth, she, they had birthed twins and the twins passed away and that the woman and her husband were 100% wholeheartedly accepted that as a, 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 an outcome of their decision to birth like that. Now, I mean, you know, that's a total, that's a completely extreme example. Um, but, you know, it's kind of even along those terms. If you are entering into this, into this, this kind of realm of, of, um, decision-making where you're kind of going out of the box or off the grid of, of everybody else's reality. It it really is about your confidence and your assurance and what your choices are. Totally. Um, I mean, I think it's crazier to, to just like show up at a institution of strangers that are trained in pathology and sickness and surgery and be like, you guys take care of it. I mean, the women I'm talking to that free birth, they have taken so much responsibility. They are so educated. They are, you know, they tend to be pretty spiritual people that feel connected to source, you know, and to the ability to have this be a normal physiological experience. And yeah, and that's the other piece of this. You know, I talk about it a lot with the other moms, like, you know, death is a reality here as it is every day, whether we want to acknowledge it or not. And I think one of the, one of the women in one of the podcasts said it best. She said, even she's had four free births. And she said, even if my child were to pass or I were to pass in labor or immediately following, I would still know that I chose the safest route. I think that's really, really powerful to, to, to know. I completely completely agree too. Yeah. I, I, that's incredible. I think, um, the other day I was, we ran into a girlfriend who actually used the pool. Her baby was the last baby born in this pool. And, um, (laughs) the neighborhood pool. Yeah. Well, we, there's been seven births and most of them are mine or my brother's or my intimate friend. But we also, there's two other families that did, home birth that use the pool. It's supposedly it's good up to 40 births, whatever that means. But um, anyway, she, we were talking about, um, she had lived in Hawaii and she had attended 22 births before and she, before she had her babies. And she said that for her, 
her option, she would rather die than to go to a hospital. And she's like, I know that sounds extreme, but that's how sure I was that this is where, what I needed to do. And my, and my husband said the same. He's like, that's how Nicole was. She would, it's not a cesarean is not an option. And so once that's in your head, that this is the only way that you will be doing this because you're sure that this is the truth. This is what's real. This is where our, you know, our, our ancestors come from women who do it like this all the time, everywhere around the world still to this day. When you're sure of that, it's like, yeah, of course, nothing, nothing can change you. But yeah. And it's like that. It's like, even to know that you would rather die than for you. Yeah. To put your hands in the safety of you and your family and somebody else's hands. It's crazy. Yeah. I mean, it makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. You know, and, and, then, and then the other, that, the other side to this that gets, I think, very confronting for, for a lot of people is, you know, th- we're saying this from a space of privilege. You know, we can't ignore that. We have the privilege to opt out of available medical care, you know, and, and that's, that's wonderful that we have that option, you know, and, and of course we know that there are women around the world who do die from lack of access and, you know, that, that sucks. That's not okay. That's a huge problem. Right. And of course, you know, that, you know, but I hear, I hear when I hear people complain about free birth, they say stuff like, you know, how could you choose this when other women are forced to free birth or when other women, you know, don't have, you know, access to this. Right. And it's like, well, yeah, I, th- I'm not basing my decisions on somebody else's lack of access. I do have the access, but I'm also healthy. And that's a paradigm that I just don't want to be a part of. And it's neither here nor there, but a lot of people try to make that comparison. See, I have really, I have a serious problem with that though. And that's where I feel like my voice and my girlfriend's voice and my sister-in-law's voice are so unique in a way, not, not just ours, but women that live in different countries outside of the United States, Mm -hmm. because I so there's this kind of epidemic in the mountains of Chiapas and Oaxaca and places where there's large indigenous groups of women um, of infant mortality rates. And now it's not, it's not because these women are giving birth at home um, without doctors. It's because their tradition of midwifery has been displaced and or skipped a generation. And somewhere along the line in the last two decades, three decades, the medical industry has been introduced. So these women are, you know, young and no longer exposed to the art and the, and the, and the Mm -hmm. profession of midwifery. And so they're left thinking that the medical industry is their way. And because they have not been given the medicinal teas and all of the amazing things that women are given during pregnancy and birth by midwifery practices and they're not exposed to those types of magic anymore. They're only exposed to doctors. But then what happens is there it's time for them to give birth. They have no knowledge. They are far away from the hospital or the clinic that they're supposed to be going to, or they are close to one that won't accept them because they don't have medical insurance, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So the, 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 the idea that, Oh, you're, you are, women are dying because they're not exposed to that. I, I don't, I don't, I mean, sure. Maybe that's the case. Well, I mean, it's like, like I remember reading stories in half the sky about, you know, women who live yes. in rural villages who have obstructed labor and, 
yeah. you know, they would have to fistulas somehow. And, yeah. And fistulas. And I mean, those are real yeah. things that happen for sure. You know, and apparently fistulas Definitely. are the number one cause of female death in Africa. I think that's what that book said. I um, think so. Yeah. So, you know, but, but that's, but that's a you. multifaceted situation because it's, yeah. it's rural living. It's never having, you know, it's mal, maybe malnutrition. You know, I don't pretend to like un- totally understand it, but it's not any, you know, you know, one. No, it's not a lie. Answer. And it's not just somebody exaggerating. Like, however, what I also know in a lot of those regions, again, is that they're really trying to bring back the practice of midwives and female, um, and, you know, uh, herbal, or how do you, I'm, I'm trying to say things in English and they're coming out to me in Spanish. I'm sorry. <laughs> Herbolaria, like the practice of, of, um, you know, herbs and, and, and things that will make the, the mother strong during pregnancy. And, you know, there's a lot of movements of reinventing and kind of re, reintroducing midwives in those communities all around the world, because they are the ones who should be the professionals, right? Mm -hmm. Because they're not exposed to the hospitals and the medical doctors. They don't have that access. So if you have no access to that and you have no access to information of traditional practices, yeah, what are that? And in that case, when you say privilege, I completely believe and respect that I have access to the knowledge or the information. Exactly. Privilege is beyond just like being able to go to the hospital, but yeah, exactly. Because having uh, access to the internet and and books and, and a community that supports it and tons of stuff. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I think also another, another thing that I see I've been seeing of recent and which is really bizarre. Well, not bizarre. I understand it is a lot of women I've been seeing on those unassisted groups are, are really making the decision to have an unassisted home birth from their lack of ability, economic, financial stability, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Like they don't have the money to give birth in the US, in the United States in a hospital or in a birth center. Mm-hmm. So they choose to do this out of need financial, which to me, I completely understand that. I work, we kind of have kind of been along that edge too, you know, like, well, we don't have, you know, $5,000 to the prison hospital, but, but that's not the root of my choice. And mm-hmm. where I think what that, what happens there is perhaps like what you're saying is when women make the choice out of the need for that, then they're, they're not connecting with their confidence in there. It's, it's a little bit more um, diluted their, their assurance in their decision. You know, they're like, well, I don't have any other choice, so I have to give birth at home without anybody helping me, mm-hmm. you know, and that's kind of a, see that's kind of a negative slightly crazy thing just because perhaps it works but a lot of times I think that that leads to be you know more doubt and and more kind of unfortunate situations just because they they don't have the the knowledge that they necessarily need but yeah I think privilege is an interesting an interesting discussion um but it's the same across the board of trying to live off of what everybody's used to you know what I mean like I can say that I want to live off the grid because I've lived with a grid mm-hmm. my whole life, I suppose. Right. And, you know, I want to do this, but I'm talking with an internet connection from myself. Mm-hmm. So, um, it's all kind of, yeah, out of, it's all kind of. Well, look, so I mean, 
Yeah. Part, part of appreciating our privilege is that we do get to pick and choose what works for us. And we do get to, you know, I mean, that, that is privilege. It's amazing, you know, and, and, you know, I, I I think it's all just, it's so tied in. I mean, it's tied into spirituality and, and to access and, you know, wanting to take responsibility and, you know, normalizing birth internally and with your family. I mean, it's, it's, it's a very big puzzle. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, we, but I also, go ahead. I also think, sorry, that a lot of people are very defensive or like how you said, um, you think <laughs> like conflictive of it almost, you know, well, to I the point where the, I, the bottom line belief is you're pretty much, everybody's dying. Everybody's dying around the world if they don't have access to the hospital, oh, you know, yeah. that, that's kind of the whole, like the hospital is how we are able to have safe births. You know, and so of course it's paradigm rocking for us to be like, uh, that's completely not true. And, right. you know, and, wa- and watch me totally do this. <laughs> right. And I also want to add, just this is kind of a side thing, but um, my, I had my last February or last January, my mother um, came down to live with us in our, in our yurt, in our yard. And my mom passed from cancer at the end of February of last year. So she was living with us for about three months. And, um, she had been in chemo for years and she was kind of over it and just kind of wanted to come down here and supposedly, you know, eat healthy and be in the sun and hang out with us and whatever that meant. And I think for me, not, I think, I know that for me, the experience um, of watching her be here and what occurs at the end of somebody's kind of path in, in those, in those situations, mm-hmm. And having my family live through that and us kind of, yeah, like dealing with it and, and reflecting on it. I, our experience with death on all realms, whether it's your baby and you are, your baby's born and something happens or you lose your life or a family member loses your life. Our experience with death is also the same as it is with what you said with first is just kind of um, just, or with pain is just, you know, hiding it or running away from it or, mm-hmm. or you oh, know, yeah. not really dealing with it. And when you're, when you are faced with that, for whatever situation, whether it's a family member or a friend, or you work in the industry, or if you're around death often, it really changes your perspective on what life and reality is, is. and, and the flow of just the coming and going of life and, and, and who we really are. And that in the end, all of us are, are on our own path. Like we're connected to each other by blood and tribes and, and, and family lines and stuff like that. But every, every single individual is here and is gone on their own. And, and that really, I think that that heightens our confidence in terms of welcoming life. And, and hundred percent, a midwife I used to work for used to always say, we come to go. And I yeah. love that. It's, it's so simple and, and so true. And it really helps you as a mother, I think, or as a caretaker of children to separate yourself from just to know that they're here for a short time and you birthed them literally to come to this planet and grow to be human. And like, yes, I am responsible, but I'm not there all. I don't know. It, 
it's it's an interesting um, experience once you kind of release that obsession with totally. With and like, let's and, not and forget that yeah, that we're not in charge. You know, we don't know. Also. And this really falls down, you know, to what you believe spiritually. But if you are whether you're a faith based person of an organized religion or um, you know, more like what sounds like you and I are just kind of a spiritual person that trusts in the universe's, you know, rhythms. Um, you know, either way, if you're, if you're faith-based in any way, like your relationship to God, you, you tends to be that I, you know, that people that we understand that there is, I would use words like karma, that there are, you know, there are timelines that we all have. And some people have, a couple of weeks here and some people have a hundred years here. And, yeah. you know, this, this idea that nobody can ever die, that that's never supposed to happen versus looking at it as we are not in control of another being's, you know, lifetime here and their timeline yeah. here. And what if, you know, I, I just was reading Laura Shanley's book Unassisted birth. And she talks about, you know, losing a, um, losing her fourth baby, um, pretty soon after birth. And that, that, you know, it wasn't even a surprise to her because she just had a a feeling about it. And, and she had actually prayed for a miscarriage early in the pregnancy. And, um, the baby, it sounds like the baby, um, passed that night. And, um, you know, she says, she just says it so elegantly that, you know, of course they were sad and they grieved, but at the same time, she knew it wasn't the right time for this child to be here. And, and it just wasn't, it wasn't the right time for this little soul, you know, and just, yeah, it's just so I resonate. Yeah. And it's like crazy how much we're not supposed to talk that way, that, that there's this, you know, but whatever we are talking that way. (laughs) Yeah. And that's an, that's an incredible thing to witness once you have, I mean, and that goes the same, any step of personal evolution or or just kind of growth in terms of higher vibration or spirituality or whatever. As soon as you're exposed to an idea or a concept or you, you know, something clicks in you that is a new truth for you, you can never go back from there. And once you see it, you see it everywhere, you know, like, like, like once, once you're aware that, oh, you're, there's no more control and, and, and death is part of it and it's okay and, and everything's balanced, you start to see more and more people talk about it or, you know, you, mm-hmm. or, or just that it's, uh, it's just kind of a sensitive thing for more and more of those around you, especially if you've created a circle of, you know, like-minded uh, individuals or, or, you know, you only follow certain things on the social media platforms that resonate with you, you know? And, and I feel like that's kind of something that's talked about a little bit more in terms of death and stuff, but yeah, it's, it's a crazy idea. And, and it's also about feeling all, you know, feeling the emotions, the same as pain. You have to feel the pain so that you can then feel pleasure. You have to feel absolute tragic sadness and loss so that you can resonate with all that is the opposite of that. And, that's the part of our society that is not okay, yeah. you know. I mean, it's hard for me to say that because now I live in Mexico, so things like the Day of the Dead is like an enormously mm-hmm. beautiful, hugely respected tradition and death, death and dead and, and all of those things are, you know, that's a whole other thing. However, coming from, you know, 21 years living and breathing in the United States, that's not something that is, you know, people are put in a hospice or into a building. Mm-hmm. They kind of die there by themselves and, Yeah, it's it's really not held in the reverence that you know it's like it's like pushed to the shadows. And if you know there would be such a a deeper 
yeah, reverence for birth if we could hold it for death. There really would be. I believe I mean, that. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. And I believe that a lot of peace, I say this, I put this out there a lot, is that peace on earth begins with birth. Like, I really believe that the the way that we welcome new being into our world is so critical in terms of the way that we will be treating those beings throughout their lifetime. Um, and, and I mean, this is about like, you know, having the bright lights on in the hospital, the circumcision to giving them a shot as soon as they're born to wiping. The, I mean, so a million much. and one things. So and um, once that's the way that they're set, you know, it's almost like they're, they're pro program. They're like the majority. The yeah. The majority of, of the children of our, you know, next generation, well, and our previous generations are being born on drugs and poked and prodded, mm-hmm. you know, and violently dealt with, you know, denied their placental blood. I mean, just it's such a long list of denied their mother's, you know, breast and skin to skin and being pulled yeah. out with instruments or through the stomach. And it's just so violent. It's so violent. Exactly. And then we wonder why everyone's drug addicted and needing to numb out and can't be in relationships. Exactly. <laughs> it's like, I, hello. Or, like, you know. <laughs> Or they want to be soldiers and like, yeah, it just goes, it just goes all the way up and to the end. And, and, but man, that is a subject that is so sensitive out there in the world because, well, for many reasons, but I think that a lot of women really connect with what happens to them at birth, whether again, what happens to them at birth, um, you know, if they, they had an emergency C-section because they were told their hips were too small or whatever, Mm -hmm. that is what they stick with. And, and it's, it's a very difficult thing for somebody to face. Yeah. Yeah. And it's hard and it's hard to face the truth about where we come from and why and things like that. But I don't know. It's all part of the journey, I suppose. And everybody, I stopped trying to convince people a long time ago, everybody in their own time, because it's just too much. It's too hard. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's not about convincing. I mean, it's really just, you know, you do you, I do me, they do them. And, and you know, exactly. we, we can birth our children the way that we feel best, as, as hopefully most people are. And, you know, awakenings happen yeah. when they do. And, um, exactly. you know, and, and again, like, I always feel like I need to say this, like if somebody's choosing the hospital because that's the best move for them, then hell yeah. You know, like whatever, you know, I, it's, it's not my oh, yeah. cup of tea, but, um, you know, of course, like the, what ultimately needs to happen at the end of the day is all options need to be laid out, you know, equally and that they're all viable options. Um, and, and yeah. if there was more and transparency I, in obstetrics, you know, that would help, but that's a whole nother conversation. Yeah. And I completely, like, I believe, like, I mean, I, this is, this is an intimate private conversation between, I mean, this is going to be a public conversation, but in the group in something called free birth. So that's a whole nother thing. But in, in life, I completely believe that if you make if you as a woman and your, your partner and your family makes a choice to have the birth that you choose to have, whatever that means, that is all that it's about. If you choose to have a cesarean because you know that this happens and you want it to be like, great, that is, that is your choice. But it's when it's not a choice. Yeah, that it's just is not really issue. right. When, and it's like 1%, it's like less than 1% chooses elective surgical birth at the end of the day. It's, you know, Oh wow. That's an incredible, it, uh, yeah, Detail, it's, it's not really number. like that many people, you know, obviously, as we know, what's happening is, you know, they go, they agree to an induction right. and that's, you know, 50% of inductions end in C-sections. I mean, so right there, you've got a huge, huge, huge 
sample size. But we do we do need to yes. wrap, we do need so, to wrap up a little bit because we're yes yes yes, yes. <laughs> we could talk about no, this I'm, all day. <laughs> so yeah, there those are the stories of I the love three them. babies and, and the births and all that good stuff. Thank you, <clears throat> so inspiring. Oh no, thank you. Yeah, so I love talking to you so so close to your birth. That's so fun. Yeah, that's really exciting. And um, it was just a week. I know I'm, that's awesome. I didn't know when we had scheduled it. So it was right. going to be after or before or today totally. or whatever. But no, well, that's so cool. Happy happy full moon and congratulations Thank on you. your precious three sons. And oh, I'm just, yeah, I'm happy to be connected and so grateful to have yeah, you Yeah, me too. I'm excited. Stories. I'm excited to hear some of the other ones yeah. and all that. So yeah, thank you and congratulations on your new project and Thanks. good luck. All right, Mama, take <laughs> right. care. Okay, you too. Bye. That's it for today, everyone. Join us next week for another episode of the Free Birth Podcast. Thanks for joining us, and remember, your body, your choice. Lots of love. <laughs>